we'll uh, discuss a few things. I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians. There's a lot of things going on in the Middle East right now, especially with the nation of Israel and Russia moving in. And, you know, it's just uh, sad to see now they're talking about the Temple Mount and the mosque on the top of it and where the temple needs to go and just all kind of interesting things. Now, we know somewhere along the line, something's got to take place. The temple's got to be built. So something has got to happen to make this come about. And so Israel, somewhere along the line, has got to have somebody comes on the scene and demands they get recognized as a nation. And somehow, and I was mentioning this to Betty, in 1968, I preached a sermon at the college there in my youth group, and it was on the subject of Revelation chapter 17. Talked about Jerusalem, and I said, I believe that there's a good possibility Jerusalem, in order for peace, has to be turned into an international city where they will recognize the religion of Islam, Judaism, Christianity, all in the same place, and move in the UN in order to guarantee peace. Now, right now, that doesn't look like a possibility. But I haven't given up on that sermon that I preached that long ago. I still believe I might have been right. But we will see. We will see. Because I know the end game. I know what's going to happen. So just like when they play football, I told somebody, I know the score before it ever starts. Zero to zero. So you've got to be good to be able to figure that out, you know, know these things. But in the book of Galatians in chapter 2, there's a, a statement that's mentioned here, and I believe it's important because in the book of uh, Timothy in chapter 3, verse 15, it talks about how the, the church is the pillar, the ground of the truth. So when an individual in a church learns the truth and is like pillars in the church, they're pillars because they're the backbone of the church. And I believe our church has some good pillars in it. We've got some people that are backbone. I mean, they're strong and solid on the, the Word of God and clarity of the gospel and all on the same page. And I think that's wonderful. I really do. But if you will, I want you to look here in verse 9 where the Bible says in second chapter of Galatians, And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship, that we should go unto the heathen, and they unto the circumcision. The right hand of fellowship was the right hand of fellowship in the gospel. It means they had the same message. The gospel is that which is important. I believe the gospel should be that which determines our boundary of fellowship. So you have, in every church, in every ministry, you have pillars and you have killers. You know, some that wants to build and those who want to kill. Satan has people that he wants to use and there's people God wants to use. So you always have this, this dual competition. In other words, there's always something in seeing a, a comparison or a contrast. You've you got to say, well, look at this and compare that to this. You've got to have these two things. 
That's why in the book of Matthew chapter 7, it talks about, you know, the, the narrow road and the broad way. You know, narrow and broad. That uh, many and few. And talks about the two trees. A good tree, bad tree. Good fruit, bad fruit. And Jesus is telling this, so he's the good prophet and then the false prophets. But there's always, and it follows where he says that depart from me, you workers of iniquity. And, and, and he makes a statement, he says, I never knew you. And then the very next portion of scripture, he talks about, you know, the sand and the rock, the wise man, foolish man. You always got to have something to help you to see this. He has to show you this. Whenever you read the Bible, you'll find out that God talks about, you know, salvation and then there's service. If you put things in the rightful place, it's fine. It, it, no problem with it. And so take your Bible also and now look over it in the book of Romans in chapter 15. Romans in chapter 15 and look in verse 1. Talking to those that are strong and then you find out it's also talking about those that are weak. In verse 1 of Chapter 15, he says, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. In other words, allowing the Lord to use us to help somebody else to become strong and to edify them. See, what does the word edify mean? It means to beautify what's there and add to it. You're always trying to build people up so that they are better after they have met you than before they met you. So that you're encouraging people. Sometimes they're better because you rebuke people. So then he says in verse 3, For even Christ pleased not himself. So we're talking about, you know, pleasing others, pleasing Christ. As though, you know, we have a job to do. Seeking to please the Lord, pleasing others, but... Most times our whole lives are spent on, yeah, but what it pleases me. Well, what pleases us ought to be that which pleases God. And that way you won't have any problem. I am so pleased if I can please God. Then he says here in verse 3, For even Christ pleased not himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. Now look at verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. Now we have a whole Old Testament. We often say the Word of God, all of it is written for us, but not all of it is written to us. There's many things in the Old Testament God said to various ones, things that He said to the nation of Israel, that He didn't say them to us. But there's principles that we can learn from the Old Testament. But they are written for our learning. So if they're written for our learning, there must be something that we're supposed to learn in the Old Testament. Wouldn't you say? So some Christians, all they want to do is just study the New Testament. Now, studying the New Testament is good. But there's stories in the Old Testament that makes it come alive. It's like just studying Bible doctrine. It's not as lively as some other class may have. I remember whenever I took it, Dr. Cameron, sometime he had his book. And I could sit there and he's reading his book. <laughs> just reading the book. But it was what was there. He already wrote it. So he didn't have to worry about messing up. He'd just read what was written right there. But then he would take off on a tangent, and he'd start telling a story. And I've never seen anybody that could tell a story like Dr. Mark Cameron. 
He could have you laughing and in stitches. It was funny. And sometimes, you know, the stories can make truth come alive. So that's why you need those Old Testament stories. Those are illustrations for doctrinal issues. Otherwise, just plain, straight Bible teaching doctrine doesn't excite you as much as if you can sprinkle a little bit with a few little stories here and there. So that's one of the things that we try to do. But look in verse 4 again. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. When we see how God worked in the lives of those who've gone before us, as he says in the book of uh, Hebrews in chapter 12, we are comes to bite with so great a cloud of witnesses, which we believe is a reference to those in chapter 11, all these Old Testament saints who had lived by faith. Therefore, if they live by faith, we can live by faith. And that's what gives us the confidence that, hey, God kept his word, and what God says he's going to do, he's going to do. Now, take your Bible and go back there to the book of Isaiah, chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. Sometimes you'll have people wondering, why does God do what he does? Why doesn't he make it easier and simpler? He could have just done away with all the problems that there is in the world and just, you know, created us where we would just naturally be right already and we wouldn't have to have this old sinful problem. We wouldn't have to die. We would just you know, created where we didn't have a sinful nature, no even options, no possibility. Don't give us a choice. Don't make us make a decision. We might make the wrong one. So how do you know? Well, they already tried that, and they messed up. And look at the world today. God could have changed things, but there's a reason why God does what he does. And I believe that God's still on the throne. He hasn't been overthrown. He's still there. He knows what's going on. He is in charge. But now here in the book of Isaiah... In chapter 55, Lewis says in verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So God says, you, you can't think like he does. Your ways are not like him. And this is why in chapter 53 he says, All we like sheep have gone astray. So evidently we're not thinking the way he thinks. And we're not going the way he wants us to go. So there's consequences to us going astray. So God says, as a sheep, you can go astray, but there's a price to pay. That's ought to be in the line in the song. That's a that rhyme term. No. Now take your Bible and go to the book of um, Deuteronomy chapter 28. Deuteronomy and chapter 28. Here... Get the picture. There was a little fella who had some brothers. And his name was Joseph. And his brothers sold him down into Egypt. He goes down into Egypt because God knew that there was going to be a famine in the land. And God had to have a place to raise this nation. Because he told him, he says, you're going to be the greatest nation in the whole world. So he had about 70 up there that belonged to, um, you know, Jacob and all of his kids and their kids and so on. About 70 of them now. So God sent a man in advance down there so that he could be placed in a position of leadership. 
But before he got to the palace, he had to go to the prison. Before he went to the prison, he was in the pit. So you find that God had sent a man in advance because God knew what he wanted to do. So he has even a Pharaoh have a dream, seven fat cows and seven skinny cows. And so only one man knew the understanding of the dream, and that just happened to be Joseph. And so he knew that there's going to be seven plentiful years, seven skinny years, famine. And so he told Pharaoh, he says, I want to put you in charge. So for seven years, they stored it all up. And then next came the famine. And it was also up there where Jacob lived. So now Jacob has to go down and send some of his kids, get some, some grain so that we can live. It didn't take long before here comes 70 of them down in there. And so here's this Nile River. The Nile River is about 4,000 miles long and it runs north. But it goes up into Egypt and goes into the Mediterranean. And so when it gets up into there, it branches out at the end. And the land of Goshen, the most fruitful place in all of Egypt, the nicest place, because of one man who obeyed the Lord, and I guess at times we're wondering whether or not, Lord, why did you let this happen to me? Because God had a plan. And God allowed them to have the choicest land, and they stayed there for several hundred years, about 400 years, and next thing you know, there's a whole bunch of them. Some people say two million, two and a half million. I don't know, but there's a whole gob of them. How many is a gob? Oh, three scads. But anyway, there's a whole lot of them. And so now God miraculously has a man. Leads them out across the Red Sea and into the wilderness. Now in the wilderness, they had no bread. They had no water. And God put a cloud over them to take care of them from the heat. And also the light at night, the fire to keep them warm and the light, all these things. And he guided his people through the wilderness. Forty years. But God knew where he was going to take them. They didn't know where he was going. But God knew. So God allowed all these things to happen because God had a plan. And he's going to take them into the promised land. And taking them into that promised land, he says, now listen to me. When you get into the land, this is what I want you to do. And if you'll do it, this is what I'm going to do. If you don't do it, this is what I'm going to do. And God keeps his word. And so we covered this at one time, but I want to just because of what's going on in the land of Israel today, you need to understand where we're headed. And I believe there's things that we need to see from the scriptures here. So in the book of Deuteronomy, look there in chapter 28, verse 1. And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, now get this, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above, now look at that, all nations of the earth. So Israel, God said, I'll put you above every nation on the earth. There was all these other nations. And God, out of the clear blue sky, starts off with one little miracle boy. 
born from aged parents that took the grace of God. And by faith, a child was born. And God is going to build this great nation. And he says, now, if you'll listen to me, you'll be the greatest nation of all nations on the face of the earth. Does God have a plan? God has a plan. And God wants his people to obey him. So he says here in verse 2, And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee. Now, how would you like to be run down by blessings? God's got so many blessings, they're going to overtake you. Picture this big old lion after you. Now, you don't want a lion, do you? But would you be all right if God was to send some blessings your way? More than what you can handle? Or if God opened the windows of heaven and bestowed upon you goods, you can't, I don't know what I'm going to do. Lord, stop. I can't take any more. Has he ever blessed you yet? I was sitting in church one day, and the preacher was up there preaching. I don't remember what he was saying, but he was hot and heavy. He had already pulled his tie to the side, pulled his coat back, and he started a pound in the pulpit. And, man, it wasn't long before a deacon started hollering amen, another one amen, another. And my, my father-in-law was sitting down there. And it didn't take long before, next thing you know, he reaches in his pocket. He got his hanky out, and he, woo! Scared half the people in there to death. And he went, woo, glory! And it didn't take long before, you know, that's like saying, sick him to a bulldog. Next thing you know, there was a few other ones in there. And you talk about people getting happy and they shouting. And I'm, in, I'm talking about these calm saints. You know, they just come in there and sit. And they don't get excited about anything. It didn't take long before they got excited. All I had to do is one person get it started. And, buddy, it's just like, you know, it's contagious excitement. Thinking about the Lord and what he's going to do. He's going to come back. And, gonna, and they got all excited about that. And I'm just a new Christian in the Lord. And I'm sitting there. <laughs> I still have my first day to shout in church. Only shouting I do is from the pulpit. But I do get excited about it. I do think it's a wonderful thing. But he says, these blessings are going to overtake you. And he goes down through here and says some wonderful things. And so you look there from that verse down to verse 7. And I'm going to bless. I'm going to bless. I'm going to bless. I'm going to bless. But this is God said, if you do what I say, I am going to bless you. So in verse 8, he says, the Lord shall command the blessing upon thee in thy storehouses and in all that thou settest thine hand unto. And he shall bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Good night. You can't get any better than that. He says, I'm going to do all of this for you. And then look what he says down in verse 12. He says, the Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure, the heaven to give the rain unto thy land in his season, to bless all the work of thy hand, and thou shalt lend unto many nations, and thou shalt not borrow. Is America in debt? How can America get in debt? You're supposed to have a balanced budget. You're not supposed to spend anything unless you got the money for it. Something went wrong somewhere, huh? Trillions of dollars in debt. Somebody messed up somewhere. You know why we're in debt? Because the politicians want it that way. They could have stopped it. They didn't have to do it. That's all a choice. You know those elected officials we put up there in the White House? And all the way there in the Senate and in the, the House, we put them there. 
And this is what they've done. But because, see, we do it to ourselves, we don't mind if we put people in the office that'll do the same thing. So we reap the consequences of what's going on. So you look down here and look what he says there in verse 13. And the Lord said, He shall make thee the head and not the tail. You know the dog is supposed to wag a tail? Is the tail supposed to wag the dog? I don't think so. Usually the, the dog wags the tail. He said, I'm going to make you the head, not the tail. You're supposed to be able to loan, but not borrow. So he says here in verse 13, And the Lord shall make thee the head and not the tail, and thou shalt be above only, and thou shalt not be beneath. If that thou hearken unto the commandments of the Lord thy God, which I command thee this day to observe and to do them. So God said, if you will do what I say, this is what I'm going to do. Now you can't beat that. It's awesome. But notice whenever there's something that he says, this, he always has something else. There's got to be a comparison, a contrast. If you do this, this is what I'll do. But when you have decisions, there's got to be consequences to both decisions. Which way you go? So then he makes this statement. In verse 15, but it shall come to pass if. See that word if? You ought to circle it in your Bible. It's contingent. It's contingent. He says, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day. Now look what he says now. That all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. That means you cannot escape. You cannot escape the consequences. They're going to overtake you. And so then he goes through there and he tells you, curse, 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 all the way down through there. And what's going to take place? Now look what he says in verse 22. The Lord shall smite thee with a consumption and with a fever and with all inflammation and with an extreme burning and with the sword and with blasting and with mildew and they shall pursue thee until thou perish. In other words, it doesn't look too good. So which one would you rather have it? Would you rather have his blessings or would you rather have his cursing? Now can you get a picture that there's something here we can learn Remember that the scriptures were written for our, our what? Learning. Our learning. So if we read this, we could learn something from this, maybe. So that we'll be wiser, that we'll have hope and confidence and trust in the Lord. We know that if we serve the Lord, God will do what to us? Bless He'll bless us. But if we don't serve the Lord, we know that he's going he's to put a curse on it. In other words, you're going to suffer the consequences of rebellion. And in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about the chastening of the Lord. So we're going to reap what we sow. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. You cannot mock God. You can't rebel against the Lord and expect His blessings. And there's a lot of Christians that don't think, well, I'm not doing that bad. Not that bad. You don't know what it's cost you. You're not in heaven yet to see what it costs you to be rebellious to the Lord. You may suffer a few things down here, but you haven't stood yet at the judgment seat of Christ and see what it's costing you for all eternity. But anyway, if you go down through here and you look at it, then he says there in verse 23, I remember that there were times in my life it seems like, why pray? 
It's just like the ceiling was brass. I didn't know that was in the Bible. I raised my right hand. I didn't know it was in the Bible. I just thought that was something special and unique to me. I used to think it seems like the walls are all closing in on me. And the lights were out. And the doors were locked. And I couldn't get out. And four walls moving in on me. And I felt like, I got to get out of Now you say, I've never been there. You will. You know, I do this a lot sometimes, you know. A guy sent me an email the other day. And he had clipped out of one of my videos where I am like this. And he has it in there. And he showed it. And somebody sent me the link, link of a message that he preached showing a preacher who is so proud and egotistical, and he had me doing this. It was a live picture. I mean, it was cut out, and he copied it and put it in an email and sent it out, and people saw that, this egotistical, proud fellow. I do this all the time. I, I do it when I'm standing over there listening. I, I'm doing this. So that means something to some people. I just, I guess, well, maybe I am. I don't care. Anyway. <laughs> if I'm going to get criticized, go for it. But he says it. Look in verse 23. And thy heavens that is over thy head shall be brass. The earth that is under thee shall be iron. How would you like to plant crop? With a sheet of iron. You can't even plant, let alone get something to grow. But God says, I can open up the windows of heaven. Or he says, I can close them all up and let it be dry. And everything turn to dust and dirt. See what it says here in verse 24. The Lord shall make the rain of thy land powder and dust. From heaven shall it come down upon thee until thou be destroyed. Now remember, none of this has to happen. This is choices that God gave to the nation of Israel, and we have lived long enough because this was written about 1,500 years before Christ, been about 2,000 years since then, so you're talking about 3,500 years ago. God says what uh, He's going to do if Israel obeyed or disobeyed. And so we're supposed to read these stories and learn from them. Why? So that we don't do what they did. That, you know, that's wrong. If they did something right, we can learn from that. 